Are you ready to take action to attain the lifestyle of your dreams? It's a great way to make a lot of money fast, fast, fast. Hey, welcome back to the Clever Investor Show. I'm your lucky host, Cody Sperber, the original Clever Investor. Hey guys, Monsi here, Cody's podcast director. With this being our 50th podcast episode, I wanted to do something super special and highlight some of our favorite parts with guests like Grant Cardone, Robert Kiyosaki, Ken McElroy, Ryan Secco, Pace Morby, Vina Jetty, Brent Daniels, Maxi Menes, Brian Applause, and Boris Blackburn. We've had a ton of fun producing the show and learning from these amazing guests. So in honor of our 50th episode, we decided to hijack the podcast and create this mashup of some of our favorite moments for you. We hope you enjoy. I hear you say all the time, like, don't do houses. But you started no, 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 but, with but, houses. But people, people take one clip, right? So what I say is, and, and I bought homes. I bought a single family home, first deal I ever did, 28 years old, put three grand down, 3,500 bucks, bought a $78,000 home. 30 days later, I bought a second one. Like, I don't, I don't take long to get it. Like, I bought one, boom, 30 days later, I bought a second one. Moved out of the first one, moved into the second one, you know the game? Yep. And then, and then, and then they moved out, people moved out of the first one. And I was like, okay, I don't like that. I don't like it when they move out, I like it when they move in, and I like it when they pay, right? And so then I started studying. I said, there's something about this game I don't know because all of a sudden I went from happy to like, you know, I'm negative. Negative being negative cash flow, you know? Yes. And negative cash flow makes you negative. And if you're positive when you get negative cash flow, then you, you got a psychological breakdown because you shouldn't be positive if you're negative, right? So what happened was I started studying uh, these guys like Sam Zell, and I started uh, the biggest, the biggest of the biggest. Okay, not in, these aren't Instagram uh, famous people. These are big players. I studied uh, the guy out of Orange County, uh, Bryn, Donald Bryn. He's the largest landowner in America. These guys all had one thing in common, dude. They they weren't buying single family. They were either building massive communities out single family homes, or they were building multifamily, or they were buying somebody else's multifamily and holding it for long periods of time. So that's why my, my first real, real deal was a deal that made me $5 million. And it was a 48-unit a deal in Vista, Cal uh, California. I was in it 37 months. I put, um, like, I had three hundred fifty grand in it. Most of it wasn't mine. And I walked away a multimillionaire. I didn't do that with the two single families. Yeah. So when I tell people, don't buy a single family, man, I just bought two of them. Just because I say don't do it, you got to see where I'm, what I'm saying. Like, I'm saying if you're on the come up, people shouldn't go out and buy houses. And everybody that collects single family or flips, they end up wanting to do what I do anyway. 100%. So, so I, I'm not trashing on anybody. Buy real estate. My thing period. wasn't necessarily, I wasn't even trying to own real estate. In the beginning, I was just trying to make money yeah. from yeah, real estate too, as a vehicle. Too, so it was more like, for my mindset, it was like, how do I flip something? Yeah, I was doing exactly. And, and just get, get paid. Because you you probably like me, I, I was trying to make money, bro. That's I it. wasn't thinking about wealth. I, I, was, was, I was actually desperate. I, I was, was thinking about how do I get another 200 bucks a month? That's it. That's it. Well, And I, that first real estate deal I did, Cody, that was the most important real estate deal I ever did. And I would tell everybody, the first deal you do is the most important deal you will ever do in your career because it will determine whether you do a second deal or a third deal. And the first deal, like if I could go back and do everything again, I would not look for a deal. If it, did, if it couldn't make me a million dollars, I would not do that deal today. I would tell everybody, your first deal should change your life. I was really able to study Grant, how he thinks, what he thinks of locations, how he um, underwrites deals. Like, like, I didn't even know how to underwrite deals. 
Like, like the biggest thing in real estate for me was, was like, what is a good deal? You know, when you're going and buying at an auction, you're like, this thing sold for 200. I'm buying it for 20. You're buying off a of basis. You're not buying off of yield. You're not buying off cap rates. You're not buying off of cash flow. You're buying because you're like, this is a really good ass deal. Mm-hmm. I know it in my heart, but there is some speculation to it. Like, will this market come back up? With Grant, he is so sophisticated and he's more of like an institution. All he buys for is yield going in cap rates and yield cash on cash to the investors. And so that's that game that I wanted to learn because I think too many of us get stuck on our past and we're not focused on the future. I don't want to keep doing what I've been doing in the past. I want to go and do 10X what I've been doing in the future because that's what I know I was built to do. Same with you. Like you, I, I've watched your career too. Like you haven't stayed stagnant. You haven't stayed in one place. Like you're now doing bigger deals. We're now doing bigger deals. But, but, but for me, I've, I, I've, I've just figured out how to um, really have the synergies of the flying because the flying has really helped me in the real estate and the real estate and uh, the training and all that stuff really had, had married together. And even the sales has all married together to put me where I am today, which I'm always constantly learning and growing. And do you think that that was just a natural ambition and drive inside you? Or was that something that through osmosis of being around people that were doing crazy big things that you were like, oh shit, I, I like, did you have a, any limitation on your mindset? Yes. Or, you did. Oh yeah. So like you get around this exposure and you're like, oh my God, like I gotta be part of this. I yes. got, even though it was scary, you had to step into it. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I didn't know, I, I knew I would last. But you know, when you are put in a position where you're 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 in command of a jet, you're now working in real estate, which is because there's a lot of unknowns, right? Like when you go from a fourplex to 300 units, Grant's very um, Grant's very simple when it comes to like, hey, how does he want you to learn, right? Like if you were to go say, hey, Grant, uh, I want to help you, right, in your team. Like for me, he's like, go and get in every part of the business, have people know who you are, and go and learn from the bottom up. Are you doing a GPLP kind of structure where you're raising capital? So that's why you're sending out this marketing material. And maybe on a $30 million purchase, you're raising what? About $10 million, let's say. So maybe uh, one-third down and finance two-thirds. Okay. And and for that, what what is the kind of pitch? Is there a certain pref that you're offering? So, yeah. So so what we do is a good, it's a good point. So we don't do a fund. Okay. So what we'll do is literally the business plan stands on its own. So we only need $10 million. That's it. So the business plan goes out and then people come in as an LP model. I'm the GP. Now, also, I put money in. So I'm usually 250 to 500 on every deal. So I'm alongside of all the money. And because we're trying to do multiple deals, that's why, you know, that's why you syndicate. I, I think you syndicate to spread your money through a bunch of projects, not because you don't have any. Um, and so we have money in every deal. Um, and obviously our, our LPs like that too. So I'm, I'm sitting right alongside of everyone's money. Then really the deal, I just have to perform to the business plan. So if you, if let's say that's a three year, uh, timeframe, cause it, on a 230 unit project, it's going to take me at least two years to turn those units. So after with normal turnover. So, so now the net operating income's higher, you know, the rents are higher, the place is looking better. We probably have a better tenant profile. I've managed the expenses down where they are. I take that to the bank and let's say the thing's worth 45 million. Now, um, now that's, uh, uh, I, I want a $30 million loan on a $45 million value. So th- I take that 30 million loan. I pay off the original 20. I pay back the 10 that I got from the investors. Mm-hmm. And now the investors are in for nothing. 
that's an infinite return. So the investors now have no money in the deal. Now I'm starting to get uh, my percentage, whatever it is, based on whatever the cash flow is. So I've also made money on my, you know, let's call it 500 grand that I've invested, but I've also given everyone their money back. Including and, yourself? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, nice. yeah. So everyone gets their money back. So, so the way we do our preferred returns is, oddly enough, I don't have a strict model. So what I do is if that 230 unit was kicking out 5% cash on cash, that's what it is. I'm like, you guys can have 100% of the cash. I don't really care. I just want the, I want the 10 million. So I want to be able to pay something out. If it's six, I give them six. If it's seven, I give them seven. So when I'm looking at a deal, I'm looking at how much the deal produces. And then I'm giving that to the uh, investors, which I am in. So, and the real juice of the, you know, from the squeeze is the GP, right? So the GP deal. So let's say it's a 50, 50 deal. How would you talk to a new investor? It's their first coaching call. What are you going to tell them? You're done listening to music in your car. You're done. You're done. It, it, until like, if you get off work and you're not listening to something, you're not listening to this podcast, you're not listening to uh, YouTube videos, you're not learning in your car, it's a huge missed opportunity. All right. First, it's just going to fill you with great ideas and it's going to, it's, it's, it's a mobile university. So you're just driving around, you're putting good stuff in. You need to find your tribe. You have to, you have to find your community. You have to find that community that is going, that is doing this business and working this. Cause the fact is you're going to be at that barbecue, uh, at, at like a family reunion, or you're going to be uh 4th of July or Thanksgiving. And you're going to be excited about wholesaling real estate and being a real estate investor. And you're going to be talking to your family and you're going to be talking to your friends and you're going to physically see their eyes gloss over. They're just going to go blue. They're going to have no idea what you're talking about. So you got to surround yourself with people that are a few steps ahead of you. You have to find your tribe. It's absolutely critical. And then you find your model. What is your model that you're going to follow? And then from there, the mindset, listen, if you want to be an entrepreneur, you better have that mindset ready. Nobody, external forces for your mindset are, are not going to be the thing that's going to make you a millionaire. You either have it or you don't. I'm just telling you right now, either your brain is wired to get to work and be of service to this community and to your marketplace, or it's not. And that's fine. But just make the decision fast so you don't waste a bunch of time. And if it is, just go bananas and talk to people. Can you tell us about your first investment and what you learned from it? Oh, boy. 902 West 10th Street, Mesa, Arizona, 85201. Guys, if you care about what you do in real estate, know your properties, know your comps, know your addresses. It's, everything's a case study. Listen everything, to your guru. Everything, <laughs> to your everything guru. is a learning lesson. So just, you know, this wasn't staged. I remember that property all the way back from 2009, right? And that we, was before the we crash. We bought it out of the, for, well, we bought it at a really good price because the world Somebody was Somebody had melting. passed away. Yeah. It was $92,000 in Mesa. Yep. It was like a 1,300 square foot single single family ranch. And uh, gosh, you know, Cody wholesaled it to me. I, I went back and looked at the original HUD, made like a $9,000 rip on me. I was like, perfect. You know, I did. Uh, Dinner's I did. on Cody. Yeah. 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 That sounds I mean, about right. Yeah. That sounds was, like some shit I would do to my best I, friend. I was like, dude, that's perfect because I was hoping I didn't go back now that I know what an assignment fee is and see like 50 K and then he added it 40. But now I realize it doesn't matter what somebody makes on an assignment fee. 
it matters how good the deal is. Hundred percent. Right. And mm. I was so stuck That's in that such a for my deal. first couple of years of of actually being a full time real estate investor. I always had to ask. So how much are you making? So what what do you, what, what what can we do? Oh, what dude, can we you'll do? never get do? rich. Listen to me. You'll never get rich counting the money in somebody else's pocket. Yeah. Yeah. It it's drives a deal, it's me a deal crazy. But newbies do that all the time, right? Yep. They're so worried about what are you getting out of this? It's yep. like, bro. We get that question you, all the time. You run your numbers. If I'm giving you a deal with lots of meat on the bone, you should be thrilled that I'm serving this up. Yep, yep. Right? I think it was worth like uh, 175, got it for 92. I think. We and got, I told you to do what? Uh, you said hire a GC, Yep. right? Which Don't. I actually did. But I took it a step farther because I was still full-time apparel. And I said, I want a project manager on top of my GC. So I heard a cool quote a long time ago. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Yes. Right? Which is crazy because people don't care about Max, right? When they're on the phone, they have a problem that needs to be solved, right? If they have a problem, that's the other issue too. Most people go into what I call uh, convincing mode and not sift mode because not everybody's our prospect, right? And that's why people really get into the mode of wanting to talk so they can feel like try to convince that prospect, right? Well, we can close in 10 days. We can, you know, we can, we, we pay the most or whatever the case may be um, because they haven't found the problem to solve. So, so, so basically they go into a convincing mode stage and we don't want to be in that at all. We don't want to be in that convincing mode. We don't convince anybody to do business with us. I like how you said sift because our yeah. job really as real estate investors is to be as aggressive as we can Absolutely. on the lead side yeah. and the talking to people yeah, side. Yeah, of course. As long as we're constantly talking to people, you're going to get a deal. Yeah, you can yeah. kind of oh, yeah. suck yeah, like, yeah, as yeah, a real estate yeah. but You're going to fumble your way into it. Absolutely. Deal. Yeah. But only if you get out of classroom mode. Mm -hmm. Classroom mode is where everybody who's scared, who has self-limiting beliefs, yep. who's been beat up by life, who when they were maybe signing up for this coaching program yeah. or trying to become a real estate investor, there's significant other shit on their dreams. Yeah, so what yeah, are you yeah. doing? Yeah. Oh, you were doing MLMs last week. Now you're a real estate investor. <laughs> oh, you were, you were, you tried to start a business yeah. in the past. How'd that work out for yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. And it's like, you can't listen to any of that no. noise. Like, no, no. first off, you're, if you want to get into real estate, that is the best vehicle for you to ever put energy and oh, love absolutely. into yep. to figure out how to crack the code on it because absolutely. the government wants us to do it. They show us by the tax benefits yeah, yeah. that they yep. give us. Yep. The cash flow is silly. That's how you break free and get out of the rat race. Yep, yep. The, the fact that you can make insane quick cash, like um, we closed four or five deals a couple of days ago yeah. on Friday, mm -hmm. I think four deals, brought in almost 70K. Yeah. It's like, where else can you do that without taking on an insane amount of risk? Correct. This gap between rich and poor um, is really sad because there's a lot of people that have, like myself, who've already made a significant amount of gains. I made a lot of wealth. I own a lot of real estate. I've, I've focused a lot of my time for the last 18 years building this financial wall around me. I'm lucky. There's a lot of people that have made it. The ones that haven't, it's getting harder and harder for them to ever catch up. What 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 would you say to somebody who is maybe just getting started? Is there hope for them? Of course, you know when, when something goes up, something you know something goes down, something comes up, and all this. And what's the moment inflation goes up? He raises he raises interest rates, raises inflation, the stock market comes down. So. The bad, let's talk, we, we, okay, I'll talk about bad news. We have a three times crash coming up. And the three times crashes, we have stocks and bonds as one class, 
real estate's coming down. So the homeowner who is not, you know, who's, whose house they bought for, let's say, a million is probably going to come down. So it's stocks and bonds, real estate. But what else is coming down is this. Mm. They're going to print so much of this, they're going to destroy the dollar. So that's why it's called the three times, because people hear this. If you're aware of this, you can decide what you're going to do. All right, I've already decided a long time ago, years ago I decided. But this is trash right now. Is 60% of the world's population will dump this. And that's why I say the three, the three times crash, num number, number one is going to be stocks and bonds, because interest rates go up. It's going to wipe out these guys, my generation, who have, 401ks, the worst thing you can ever do. You know, it's just terrible what they're doing. And then the second is real estate. So the homeowner, you know, my generation, they bought their home and they, they say they bought it at a million. And they're upside down in the, in the you know, the debt, the debt to equity structure and financing. And the third is this thing. So that's why, you know, I'm asking you permission. Can I tell you what I know? Because this is what I know, you know. I have. What I'm seeing right now is you had all of these people over the last few years, this big run up, yeah. dive in and, and, and gobble up, maybe even overpaying multifamily assets. Yeah. And they put them in these short-term bridge loan type of yeah. scenarios yeah. where they thought, as long as interest rates stay low, I can do this for six, nine months, a year, year and a half, uh, stabilize the asset or whatever, refinance yeah. out, and then hold it. Now they can't refinance out. That's they right. got all these DSCR you know, you know, loans. They have that to refinance down. Down. Yeah. And so is that where you're seeing the big opportunity yeah, from one, you? Because you're you're so cash heavy. Are you just waiting for this implosion to happen so you can go well, scoop up all these deals? We tr we we tried, we let a billion dollars worth of deals go in February of this year. When things started to change, I said, let them go. We walked away from security deposits. Mm -hmm. Like literally. <clears throat> and we borrowed, we we overpaid for assets in the last two years. Like you weren't shy about that. And I, was, were, I, I would still overpay for them because I own them. The difference between me overpaying, okay, and other people is I don't have a three-year cycle. They do. They have a three-year, they got a three-year loan. I have, I have like, I, I don't have any of these problems. I'm not selling this asset for 10 years. Maybe never selling these assets. So I just got to weather the cycle. And I have a lot of cash, so I can always pay down the debt. They don't. They took every one of their loans. We have 41 properties. Only five of them have adjustable. The rest of them have fixed money. These guys had three-year plans, so they couldn't put fixed money. That debt, they didn't, some of these guys didn't even have cap rates, meaning that it, the, 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 the interest rate is going to go from 2.8 to, who knows, maybe eight and a half. Worse than that, they're going to have to buy the debt down. Now, this is hundreds and hundreds of billions of dollars worth of loans. I'm not talking about some guy that bought a single family home. The opportunity is not there today. I think the bigger opportunity there, the great reset is going to be in these 200 unit, 60 unit, 90 unit in your town in Indiana. Somebody did this, okay? Some guy went out, David, bought a 90 unit deal, put it on a two-year loan. I'm going to refinance just like you said. And he woke up one day and he's like, fuck, the interest rates are nine and a half, eight and a half, seven and a half, whatever. And he promised his investor 12%. So every year he's got he's 21% behind every year. So he he'll tap out and say, hey, uh, let's I can't reset it. I don't have any cash. I don't have another business that flows me. And that deal is going to become available for the person that's connected to that network of people. 
I can't go buy it because I don't know anybody in Illinois or Indiana. It's not my market. But I'll be here to buy the stuff here in Texas and Carolinas. Where, where are your markets right now? Like, where uh, you are you know, focusing? Uh, Arizona. I love Arizona. Anything Arizona. There was hundreds of billions of dollars of loans that are going to come due there. They're not going to the bank or the auction like this old thing. Kiyosaki talked about foreclosures. That ain't going to happen in this cycle. You have to be connected to the network. And the network is basically people like me that, that got in. I'm, I'm kind of an outlier. And it's a very closed network of people with private deals. So it'll be Utah will be great. Colorado is going to be phenomenal. I'm not there yet, but um, Arizona, Texas, you know, almost anywhere in Texas. It's going to be a reset, bro. Alabama is going to be phenomenal. Uh, all of Florida. There's going to be an opportunity for you guys to buy Florida. Some of these places, the Carolinas is going to be great. Georgia is going to be phenomenal. But it's going to be hundreds of billions, trillions probably, mm. of dollars of product. This is a chance for you to become a billionaire in 18 months. Okay, well, if your tenants are paying, why mm. would all of the sudden, if you have 3,200 doors, why would yeah. you go into foreclosure if you have paying tenants? What has changed between six months ago and today is not his tenants paying or not. It no. has, what has changed? It's interest rates. Interest rates have just shot up. And people don't have rate cap insurance. And because mm. two years ago, three years ago, no one thought interest rates were ever going up, except for you when you were speaking about it last year. And you were like, interest rates are going to be 8%. And I was like, Cody, you're crazy. What are you yeah. talking about? But that's exactly what happened. Debt doubled and they have adjustable rate mortgages. Okay. So they are they have secured mortgages. They put 3,200 people in these, these properties. Yep. They're all paying rents. Yep. And then the interest rates shoot shoot up on the ex existing debts. Doubled. Now they're not cash flowing. They're yep. hemorrhaging money. Yep. They go, F this. And they're letting these properties go. They just can't service the debt. So do you agree with this? The subheadline is building values are falling. So their mm -hmm. their values are going down. Interest rates are rising and rent growth is slowing. Yeah. All three things combined. Yeah, because- Putting some people in a pickle. Building values are based off of cap rates, right? And- there is about like a 60 or 70% correlation to interest rates increasing to cap rate expansion. So yes, building values are falling because cap rates are going up. They're inverse, right? And so what is going to end up happening is over time, they're going to really restabilize and debt is probably going to start either plateauing or coming back down. So it will come back to normal. This is cyclical. All real estate is. It's always been. Well, what is normal, right? Because a lot of people think that like the last couple of years was normal. No. 3%, 2% interest no. rates. I've got so many 2 and 3% sub two no. deals over the last couple of years. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Like I went to four properties yesterday. All of the properties were under 3%. Yet in multifamily, when you say go back to normal, what does go back to normal mean? You know, I think- 6%? Yeah, I think like five, 6%, we can make deals work. Um, right now, we're starting to kind of see interest rates kind of coming back down slightly, not a whole lot. Nothing I'm holding my breath over because I'm sure the Fed's going to increase the rate again. It's got to happen. Yeah, it's, they're going to increase the rate again. So I think it's maybe like even short-term pressure again. Now, would you recommend somebody who was just getting into and aspiring to maybe do multifamily on a bigger scale um, to maybe start with property management like you did? Yeah. So, so here's what's happening now. There's a lot of syndicators that have been out and, you know, raising a bunch of capital, all that kind of stuff. And they actually don't know what to look for. You know, they don't know the language, you know, and, and there's a serious language in property management of things to look for. Um, you, you know, and, and so what, you know, they don't, they don't, when, when they're firing somebody or rehiring somebody, they oftentimes don't know what to ask. They don't know what to look for. 
And, and sometimes they just make a lot of bad decisions. So when you have all of that, you know, the, those tools in your tool belt to be able to hire somebody or manage your own, you learn a lot. And if you're going to, if you're going to raise capital and do it at a pace, uh, which I think anyone can do, by the way, um, you have to know, I mean, you have to know the nuances. It's not a transactional thing only, right? I mean, the money and the clothes, that's the easiest part. The hardest part is identifying it, uncovering all the stuff during due diligence, putting a business plan together, creating a value add that's a win for the investor and for you, and then executing. The, the money is actually the easiest part. It, it, all, in all honesty, in my company, that came in the last 48 hours. The minute we would put a business plan out, we would raise the capital in, say, 48 hours. So you weren't pre-raising. You were, you were more like, hey, listen, if the asset is good enough, the money's going to gravitate towards it. We never pre-raised. Not one time. This. It's funny because I just got in a, I, I was hanging out with Vina Jetty, who's a f- good friend of mine and one of my multifamily mentors. And she was like, you want to maybe want to start like raising now. And I, and I have the opposite feeling. I'm like, man, if I could just kind of like what you were saying, if I could just find a really great deal with my marketing capabilities, I'm going to raise capital. And yep. she was kind of pushing back on that. And I, I was pushing back on her. And so it's kind of interesting to hear you say that. Cause the reason I asked is there's really like multiple businesses in the multifamily space. You got you got the property management, you got the fundraising, you got the asset management, you got the building or construction side of things. Like there's a lot of businesses within the main business. And sometimes when I'm talking to somebody new or even me as I'm transitioning hard into this side of the, uh, into the space is like, well, how do I make money? And if I go try to buy um, something, even a 40 unit, let's just say, it's going to take me a while to like, pull it all together and make money from it. And how do I survive along the way if that's my full-time thing that I'm focusing on? And it's like, well, maybe pick one of those four sub-businesses and do that as your job while you're trying to put the rest of it together. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I'm a big believer that I think people invest in, you know, the deal, you know, especially in the beginning. You, You know, maybe after you're rolling, there's a lot of people that throw money at me now because of my track record. But in the beginning, certainly in the first five years, you, you, you just should, you, what actually produces the money for all of it is the deal itself. So if you can find something where you can create massive value in it, uh, people make sense. It's just math, like literally, you know? So that's why I don't necessarily need the money first. But to your point, I just need a big list of people that will take a look at the deal when I feel like I have one. And that's a way better. I'd rather have the pressure on me finding deals than me having money and finding deals. The challenge is once you buy multifamily is the onboarding process of a deal to get it stabilized. Yeah. I mean, I think the operations of any multifamily asset, like that's really the execution piece. That's the hardest part of the deal, in my opinion. It's not so much acquiring them or financing them. It's how are we going to get from point A to point B in a practical way. And, you know, on your deals, when you have such a long time frame on your debt, mm-hmm. I mean, you could not do anything and just sit and wait for 50 years and it'll appreciate, right? That's, like that's, that's my, that, see, this is where single family and multifamily, there's that common question. Yeah. Like, should I start with single family and multifamily? Where I don't love multifamily is where I'm afraid of these ticking time bomb debts that you guys have. Yeah. You guys, it's like, okay, I'm, we're going to go acquire this asset, but most people are acquiring with bridge debt of like five, seven years. Is that? Previously, three to five years. Bridge. Three to five yeah, years. It's- so it's like, here, here's a ticking time bomb. 
enjoy. <laughs> but I promise interest rates won't go up. Yeah. And I promise that everything's going to be fine in the economy. But here's a ticking time bomb. You can't weather a storm with a three-year no. balloon. No, it's it's like a hot potato almost, right? Mm, that's Who's a great going to be holding it when the rate expires and interest rates are going up? So many of our listeners reach out and they ask us how they can get involved in my actual real estate deals. Our investment firm specializes in finding deeply discounted properties, acquiring them, renovating, stabilizing both single family and multifamily properties all over the United States. That's why we're so excited to share with you clevercapitalfund.com. Now, if you have some investment capital and you want to deploy it and receive double digit returns back by real estate, then visit our website and see which fund is right for you. We have both equity funds and we have debt funds where you just get paid out every month like clockwork. All you got to do is visit www.clevercapitalfund.com today to learn more. Let's start with the basics. Yep. What is real estate wholesaling? Well, all of that you can boil down to just have conversations with property owners that have ugly houses. That's it. Just start there. Right. Just start with having a you have to have a conversation with a property owner that that this property needs significant investment. From there, it's just making the offer. This is the sticking point for a lot of people that are getting started, that are interested in being real estate entrepreneurs is, well, I don't know how to what to offer. I don't know if this is a deal or not a deal. I don't know what's going on here. Right. So it's it's just really important that you combine having conversations and making offers with squatting up with people that do this business. All right. Okay. And, and, and we'll go, we'll go all into that. But wholesaling basically is this, there's a property, there's a person that has a personal problem with a property, right? Okay. There's a lot of peas right there, but <laughs> it, it is, they have a personal problem with a property and they want to sell it. Uh, and they want speed and convenience. Price really isn't the biggest um, factor in their decision-making. They want to get it sold, and they want to get it sold fast. Wholesaling is finding distressed properties or distressed sellers, mm -hmm. property owners, working out a deal to buy their property, yep. locking it up under contract, and during the contract period, mm -hmm. what we're going to do is turn around and shop that contract to landlords and rehabbers looking for good deals that have so more money then time. We're playing matchmaker. And through that matchmaking process, we earn a fee. For wholesaling, I was the opposite. It took me 14 months to get my mm. first deal. And then only about two months to get my second deal. Mm. And only about two weeks to get my third. Yep. So it happens, you know, you, you are 1 million percent right when it comes to the consistency. I call it mastering the mundane. You really got to like work the boring work. Oh, you have to. And it's repetitive and there's money in the follow-up. Like about only about 15% of my deals happen within the first 30 or 45 days of meeting a seller. Yeah. 85% of my deals happen over the next 12 months yep. in the follow-up. That's right. Because not everybody's ready at that time. Like they're, they're starting to consider it. You know, there's, there's really three buckets of sellers. Have to sell, like shit has hit in the fan. Medical issues, legal issues, divorce, relocation, they're out of money, they're out of runway, their house sucks, something's going on where they're in that have to sell bucket. Yep. And then there's the, there's have to sell, there's I'd like to sell, but I'm not quite there yet, but maybe if the price was right. That's that middle bucket. And that's where the majority of people are that do contact us initially. And that's why follow up so strong. And then there's the people that are like, if you overpay for my property, yeah. I may sell it, but I really... If I ever did sell it, I'd go through an agent. They're like exactly. the, I, I don't have to sell bucket. And wholesaling is a grind, man. 
is a young man's game. Yeah. There's a lot of energy that's involved. Systems are very important. And, and especially nowadays, yeah. you need some unfair advantages. Like you mentioned, man, back in my day, when I first got into Airbnbs, it was sweet. Well, back in my day, when I first got into wholesaling, there wasn't 50 billion gurus that Cody Sperber <laughs> trained that now are out there pumping out uh, wholesalers left and right. Your consistency, your discipline in the host, because wholesaling in theory is 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 easy, right? Like you put a profit in the contract and you sell the contract. It's like I compare it to running. It's like one foot after the other. But if you tell me, well, TJ, go run a marathon today, I would say, heck no. The same thing with wholesaling. Like it's a challenge. You have to be consistent with it. So, uh, but on the short-term rental side, a lot of people think that you can just come in because the barrier to entry seems low. And yes, there's a lot of listings that came onto the marketplace especially since I got into it, but it's nowhere near as easy as it used to be for sure. What advice would you give for us to a brand new wholesaler just starting out? Um, walk before you run. Don't bite off more than you can chew. Um, it's, it's not all that difficult to get your first deal. Um, and that can be something small. It can be a $3,000, $5,000, $7,000, $9,000 deal, or it could be something big. You land, you land a, a big deal. And it's 80,000 bucks. I see so many people in the wholesaling industry that have just gotten started, did their first deal, made 80 grand, went out and blew 60 of it on a car and 20 of it on an office and desks and everything. And then now what? So don't get too big for your britches. You got to learn, you've got to experience, um, and you don't have to spend a lot of money to make money in real estate wholesale. If you want to stay small in the beginning, which I advise everybody to do, you again, don't bite off more than you can chew, but um, you need to get a couple of deals under your belt. And that can be door knocking. That can be, again, very low hanging fruit, very low cost initiatives to be able to get that first deal. From there, you start leveling up and you start doing everything in phases. Um, it's like building a skyscraper. If you build the first level and then before it's even done, you build that second level, just like you were talking about spinning those plates. If you start building that second level before you've tested and improved that first level, you can't get to 13 stories. The whole thing's going to topple over. So build that first story, see if you can rock it, see if you can break it. And if you can't, then go to your second phase. Again, see if you can rock it, see if you can break it. And if you can't, go to that third phase. You got to do everything in steps, but really focus on areas where there's meat on the bone and you can actually turn good profits for the work that you're putting in and not have to chase your tail and burn yourself out. But don't be intimidated on getting started. That's the big thing. You got to get off the fence. You got to get off your couch, get off this podcast and go get some courses, learn, figure out a game plan, write it all down, set yourself with micro goals and achieve those micro goals hourly, daily, weekly, monthly, um, and, and just push yourself. I, you know, we were talking about consistency, uh, consistency in your life, consistency in your business. I, I prefer the word relentless. Um, if you are relentless, then you will be consistent and giving your, your, your time hundred percent focus, um, and being relentless in that path is, is, is what'll get you there. So don't be intimidated. Just get started. With wholesaling real estate, it is Probably the most, uh, it's the best vehicle to learn the real estate business. Right. It's the best avenue. Yep. It's the least amount of risk because you can get in and out of these deals if you know how to structure the offer correctly, if you know how to write up your paperwork correctly, there's very little legal risk yep. or money risk. I agree. Because we're putting up, you know, a small amount of earnest deposit yeah. to control these deals. Correct. Yep. Right? And if we did our job on the front end through closing really well, not manipulation, yeah. not convincing somebody that yeah. they got to sign this contract where they get seller's remorse the next morning when they wake up. Because yep. 
other people in their lives are going to, the seller is going to tell somebody. Oh yeah, absolutely. They're, most people think that, here's, that's funny that you brought that up because most people think that when they get it under contract, the calls are going to stop. The text messages, you know, are going to stop. Like that's never going to go away. They're going to tell somebody. You just said it. I love that you brought that up. Um, and that's, most people don't even know this. Like you should be having a conversation with your seller after it's contracted of what are the next steps are. Hey, Cody, what if, you know, your realtor comes in and says, well, how do you, how comfortable are you with Max? What are you going to tell them? We're coaching the seller to have these conversations because they're going to happen. Not only that, if you're wholesaling, you got to show the property. Yeah, exactly. You got to stay good friends in a good relationship spot. Yeah. I actually had it happen in the past mm -hmm. where very early on in my career, I stopped communicating with the seller. I oh, did yeah. a good job, good enough, got it under contract. The close was three weeks out. Right. I went off to find my cash buyer. I took pictures and video and I found a cash buyer, put it under contract, yep. was going to make whatever $12,000 or something like that right. on the wholesale flip. Three weeks later, we go to close. My escrow officer calls me and goes, Cody, I don't know how to tell you this, but the property closed three days ago. Oh man. They sold it to that somebody sucks. else. And I'm like, what do you mean? Like they can't <laughs> sell it to anybody else. Right. She's like, I don't know what to tell you. It's showing in the system as it's, it's sold. Like we oh, cannot man. close this deal. Yeah. And I'm like, that's impossible. So I called up the seller and I'm like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm closing here right. in a day. Everything's lined up. What it's my escrow officers telling yeah, me you yeah, sold, it. sold it. They're wow. like, well, I didn't hear from you. So I thought that the deal went sideways or something. So I sold it to somebody else. Wow. And I'm like, no, no, no. What somebody else came behind me, offered you right, more money. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And because I wasn't doing my job of staying in contact with you and explaining how the rest of the process is going to work, yep. I lost the deal. Yeah. And what am I going to do? Sell, sue the seller? Even yeah. though I had a legal contract, yeah, yeah. Right, right, even right. though I could, yeah, yeah, I'm not going to be big, bad investor on the Channel 3 News. <laughs> I screw that. Like, yeah. So I had to walk away and lick my wounds. Yeah. And I had to call that poor cash buyer back and say, dude, yeah. I've, I messed up. Right, right. Right? I lost the deal, which pissed. And now my buyer- Now he's mad. Yeah. Now he's mad. He's yeah. done. Now he's done. You know, and I, I actually had to end up selling him another deal and making zero dollars on right. the deal. And get, just to get him back on- Just to get him back on track. And we went off and did more deals right, eventually, right, right. but- it was an expensive lesson. Oh, yeah. No, definitely. I think that's important to know for those of you that are watching is, you know, once you get the deal under contract, I see this mistake a lot and drop it off at escrow. And then they 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 depend on escrow to be that point of contact. Like you have to realize it's not just your file they're working. It's your job to stay in, in contact with the seller, not only coach them what the next steps are, but check in, checking in. Yeah. Do not rely on the title company at all. Uh, uh, explain the two different ways to make money yeah. in Airbnbs real fast. So there's actually three different ways. And actually there's more than three, but but the main ways is for one, you can be considered a landlord host, which is like myself, which is like yourself, meaning like whether you own a piece of real estate and you live in it and you rent out additional property or whether you own a piece of real estate, you live in it and you were like me that were gone six months, seven months out the year and you rent it out full time while you're gone or you have a property that's a full-time investment property that's a short-term rental, you're considered a landlord host. And then there's rental arbitrage, which is the most, probably the one that's grown over time and the, probably the lowest barrier to entry. This is essentially where you're renting the property and you're, you don't own it, you're renting it and then reselling the use of it. So we rent it long-term under a corporate lease and then we resell the use of it short-term after we furnish it. And so that's rental arbitrage essentially, which is being the middleman. And I think everybody knows in business that there's a lot of money to be made as a middleman. <laughs> and so then there's co-hosting, which you don't arbitrage it. You don't own it. You're essentially managing somebody else's as a host. So you facilitated somebody else's right to be a host. 
and we're co-hosting is essentially you positioning yourself to say that, hey, you're the host. You're managing it. It's your, your listing, but we're going to manage it for you. And so those are the three main ways to get into the game. And it doesn't matter, even though the means of acquisition could be different, your means of execution is the same. Whether you own it, whether you arbitrage it, whether you co-host it, it's the same system and foundation that you need to run it, which is why the people that are set up properly in this business can do either or and still go crazy in this business for sure. If you want to get into the space, for one, get your foundation right. What I mean by that is get in your, when I say foundation, your operations, your systems. If you want to get into arbitrage, your biggest challenge will be how to speak to the pain points of the landlord. And you have to address the pain points. And and I'll give you all the pain points of a landlord, what matters to a landlord right now. The rent's getting paid on time. I actually show landlords, I said, look at these, look at these consistent rent payments that we make to our our, our other upper charge clients. The, The property being well taken care of. Here's the thing. You literally, if you see yourself and you know who you are as an operator, you know that you are the perfect tenant because nobody is going to take care of this property the way you're going to take care of it. So speak and emphasize on that, how the property is going to be insured. Uh, Make sure that they know that, how the maintenance is going to be handled. Because the thing is, is that that's one of the biggest bottlenecks issues for landlords is maintenance issues. We actually handle maintenance issues up to $200. So that broken toilet, that clogged toilet, that leak in the water heater, we'll take care of that on our expense. Don't even worry about it. And if it's anything more than that, guess what? We can still oversee the process. We can have our contractors come come managing and we'll oversee it. And we can invoice you for it. We can take it out the rents just to make it easier for you. But this is how we make sure we're the perfect tenant. And no, I don't pay more because a lot of people might say, well, we're going to let you make money from it, so we want more rents. Why would I give you more rents when I'm literally going to be the best tenant you ever had? If uh, somebody regular comes rent this property from you and they damage this property and they didn't take good care of you, you're not going to charge them more rents because I'm the prize here. And that's the mindset you have to go into if you want to do arbitrage. Understand the value that you bring because if you don't have that confidence, if you don't understand the value, it's a lot less deal that you're going to be able to get. When I work with uh, landlords now, it's almost like I feel bad for you if you don't work with me. That's the, that's the mentality going into it. So understanding who you are, understanding the identity of you are as an operator, for one, is going to be very important. Have the confidence when you go in to lock in these arbitrage deals. Your systems and operations is going to be crucial. Two things that you can do at the very beginning to save you a ton of time. Manage your pricing. And you have to manage your pricing from the very beginning and make it dynamic. Don't have stagnant pricing. Because when you have dynamic pricing, these OTAs, what I mean by OTAs, I mean online travel agencies, these are your Airbnbs, Booking.com, VRBO, they see you as attentive because you're checking, just checking your calendar actually gives you a slight boost when you consistently check your calendar because they see you as an attentive host. So get your pricing right. Make sure it's dynamic. Use Price Labs, use Wheelhouse, use Beyond. One of those three is the three that I recommend. Get your pricing dynamic. Also, your guest communication. You can use Hospitable for this, and they are great at communicating with your guests and making sure that your response rate stays at 100%. These are two things that I will automate at the very beginning of your journey because, one, it's going to save you about 70% of your time off the muscle, and it keeps your response rate at 100%, which which, uh, matters a lot in how you rank. Also keeps your pricing, makes you look like an attentive host, and it keeps your pricing dynamic, not stagnant, which also speaks to how high you rank in the SEO searches as well. So those two things from the very beginning will save you time and keep your listing relevant for sure. You know, I love I like parts of the Airbnb business. I really dislike other parts. Right. We 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 kind of me and my business partner looked at each other and said, look, we'll run Airbnbs for a year or two. We'll see which ones we like, which ones we don't. Right. Out of the 50 Airbnbs we're we're selling 
30 of them right now. Right. Yeah, we'll keep the top 20. And, just because just of the management intensity? Well, it's a pain or... in the ass. The money, like first off, there's a big Airbnb bust kind of happening right now where yep. just are you seeing, oversaturated. Are you seeing the, yeah, are you seeing like, because the headlines are saying they're 50% down or 30% down. Are I mean, you there's a lot. That? Yo, hell yeah. Hell uh-huh. yeah. And uh-huh. Arizona, where a lot of ours are, it's already a cyclical market because when the heat heats up, if you don't have just the perfect property in the perfect location Swimming with tons pool, of water right. and like all that stuff, it's not gonna, it's not gonna rent very well. And so what a lot of people do in Arizona in the summers is just long-term lease them for three months, three months yeah. you know, something like that, just to kind of get through it yep. for whatever, just to cover the cost of the mortgage. You don't and then really ramp it up in, in November, December, January, February, March. Yeah there, yeah, there are times where it's better than others. You really have to have some unfair advantages, yeah. like maybe using AI technology in, in, mm. to generate better leads. Yeah. You know, like lead, lead gen is important. You can never shut off lead gen. Yeah. You know, you got to have constant fresh stream of hot, sexy, profitable leads pouring in. Absolutely. And sometimes you got to use cutting edge technology to to do that like AI. And it's interesting now because now technology is changing the game pretty hardcore, artificial intelligence coming out. What are your thoughts on some of this newer tech? Do you have you gone down the AI rabbit hole or No, I I I don't. That's that's why I um I just stay with gold and silver right now. You know, because I told you when when I took my company, my gold mine in China public, and they took it from me. I said I don't trust them. I don't, you know, I don't trust my own government. Number one, because when I was in Vietnam, I realized <clears throat> our government lies to us big time. You know, the fake news. I was I I found that out in Vietnam. You know, I'd be we'd be pounding the heck out of the North Vietnamese and all this, and then the we'd watch it on the you know, Walter Cronkite evening news, and we'd be, the pilots would be going, that didn't happen, that didn't happen, that didn't happen. So with the fake news, I knew a long time ago, and that's why, you know, Trump calls it fake, and I wrote this book here, fake. It's literally called fake. <laughs> fake, fake, uh, fake money, fake teachers, and fake assets. The stocks are not assets, they're liabilities to me, because you have no control over them. But you and I are control freaks. That's the difference. So it's not as easy as it looks, but it's but control is better than being stupid, you know. Get on your skateboard, get on your scooter, get on your Lamborghini, get in your Tesla, get in whatever you want to do and just drive neighborhoods that are older. And how do I find those? Google map it. I don't care. You know where the older neighborhoods are. Just go drive around until you find some properties and you look at them. And if visually you're like, that property needs some work, write it down or use an app. There's incredible apps out there that will do all the work for you. We have an app that's attached to the AI real estate system. Yeah. Where you can be in front of the property, you put in the address and it pulls up all the tax records. It pulls up all the comps. And it pulls up the AI scores mm-hmm. of that property. It'll literally, based on the algorithm, tell you this is a hot wholesale deal based on 136 billion data points. Right. It's the most powerful driving kind of tech yeah. because then from right there, you can hit, please give me their phone number. You can skip trace, mm-hmm. send them a mail. You can hit one button and mail. You can even take a picture of the front of the house and it'll mail merge the picture onto the postcard mm-hmm. that says, is this your property? Mm-hmm. Fire it out to the taxable mailing address. A couple of weeks later, you get a call. You took a picture of my house, sent me a postcard. Yeah. What do you want? Yeah. Right? And then you can, you can ask Listen, your questions. The, the, the I can't find any deals 
uh, argument is over. I mean, there's just two. They, I mean, you, you can literally just drive around. You can use a tool that's going to tell you everything about that property, what they owe on it, what the AI score is on the potential. I mean, it's bananas. I mean, it's yeah. absolutely bananas. Um, I, I believe that it will remove the front end jobs. Probably 40, 50% of people will no, no longer have jobs in the front end. Front end meaning generating leads, doing mm -hmm. the follow-up, maybe even a lot of the paperwork, the contracts, those types of things. I think even at some point in the next five years that we own title companies and I believe yeah. that AI technology will completely disrupt that entire industry. Yes. Right. Being able to pull title, being able to go through and, and dissect something better than a human being can. You've been in transactions. I know you have where somebody said you have clear title. Six worst. months later, something pops up because a human being missed something. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Everything on the front end of a transaction is going to change. Mm -hmm. Everything. I agree. So with AI, the cutting advantage is obviously getting involved in AI now because what, hap what happens like homebesters, for example. I was a homebester for a couple of years. I was the number one closer. What they do still to this day is they spend money on bus stop ads. Mm -hmm. Billboards. Billboards. Mm -hmm. Radio. Radio. Pay-per-click. Pay-per-click. Okay. <laughs> Facebook ads. All of those things. And then a lot of direct mail. Do you know how much that money they spend just in Phoenix, Arizona as a group of 20 people that get together every single month? How much? $600,000 a month in paper and all of those things. They aggregate all the money wow. together. They spend $600,000 a month. Their cost per lead is nearly $2,000 per phone call that comes in. The tech people are still using billboards and bus stops. So you've got people like Cody that are coming out with AI that are mm -hmm. like, really? You guys are going to spend two grand per lead, not two grand per contract. You have to be really good at what you're doing. You have to be a phenomenal closer. To take a swing at a $2,000 pitch. Right. Yeah. Right. So That's what's wild. funny is there's a lot of the industry that is still using the old models. Well, a lot of them. We've just started to see AI be implemented. Like we're in these rooms where we're talking about this and we're sharing this. So it's different for us. But I've talked to people in the last two weeks that are like, what's ChatGPT? And like, what do you mean? Oh, yeah. What is ChatGPT? Oh, yeah. How is this possible? You don't know this. Because like I told you the other day, we've already implemented AI across, and we've been using AI for about three and a half years now for some of our model predictions and pro forma in the future because they have millions of data points that they can process and they can based on outputs and inputs and they tell you whether scoring, it's a deal. Yeah. Essentially they do. They tell us how much we can charge for rent five years from now in a specific submarket. Mm. And that's a huge competitive advantage because maybe I'm underwriting to 200, but the model, the AI model is saying, no, you can get $247. That's a massive difference when you're looking at 200, 400, 500 units at a time. So we've already implemented that. But now, to your point, like the front end, the paperwork, the administrative work, all of that is getting completely demolished and revamped by AI. And so there's a lot of people that just aren't even on board yet. And if you're not on board yet, like get on board now. <laughs> Hey, Cody Sperber, the original Clever Investor, host of the Clever Investor Show podcast. And I'm shooting this ad right now to let you know that this podcast exists. It's finally out and we have some amazing guests. So please, I'm begging you, can you just come and give our podcast a listen? I've been doing real estate for a really long time. I've accessed some of the coolest people in the world. We were having all these amazing conversations and I'm like, what are we doing? Let's record this and actually put it out on a podcast. But the problem is, I have to let people know about it. That's where this ad comes in and this is where you come in. 
You're gonna be able to learn from successful entrepreneurs, get in-depth interviews from amazing leading experts. You're gonna learn real estate investing strategies and tactical training strategies that work in today's market. We're going over market analysis and different market predictions. You're gonna be able to engage in an awesome community. And we go into some pretty deep dives on the mindset of what it takes to win the game of money and in life, plus lots of bonus resources and exclusive content. So what you're gonna to wanna to do right now is click the link that you see on your screen and give the show a subscribe today. We have amazing guests like Ken McElroy and Robert Kiyosaki and Wes Watson and Pace Morby and Jamil Damji and Vina Jetty and a whole host of amazing men and women entrepreneurs that you're gonna to love to learn from and get to know. So what you wanna do right now is click that link and give the show a subscribe today.